Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing? Okay, all the, everybody's excited about having a good Christmas. All the moms are excited. The kids are going back to school. I know that's true. And uh, all the kids are like, oh no, but it'll be okay. All right, well, I haven't been in the pulpit for three weeks now. Um, I was planning on preaching Christmas, and then I came up with a upper respiratory infection, and uh, so that was fun. And then uh, last week I was planning, we were up with my family in Arkansas, and I appreciate you allowing me that time to be out. And this week we're starting a new series called I'm In or All In, and um, I'm going to kind of tell you ahead of time, the way, I, the way I've always, you know, that I've kind of found the best way for me to prepare messages is that I prepare them, and then I give them, and then I'm, I'm done with them. Um, I've not recycled a message in 20 years. And um, I, I keep them all, but I don't ever look at them. Now, I go over the same passages, and I'm not saying you won't hear the same things more than once. There are certain fundamental truths, certain things I've learned, and certain things that have had an impact on me that I'm sure I repeat. But one of the things about that is, is that once I kind of get it in me, that message, um, I can't just put it aside and move on to the next thing. I have to get it out. So I'm going to give you... What I was really excited about giving to you on Christmas, um, some of the things that, are, that were in that message that um, I was really excited about sharing with you, and so I'm going to share those with you today, and it really does fit with where we're at on this whole thing about all in. And one of the things that has always really fascinated me has been about the way that Jesus came about. You know, the, um, we know he was born in a stable, basically. You know, we know that there wasn't anybody there to, to witness it, so God brought shepherds in. And, and there's so many things about that that now we've become accustomed to and that are part of not only our, our beliefs but our culture that it seems normal. But when you look back on it, you're like, man, that's the Son of God showing up as man in the flesh. And this is how it happened. And there, there's, then there's this huge gap between that and when he begins his ministry at 30. And there's something about those 30 years that I believe we can learn some things from, even though the Bible doesn't talk about a whole lot. And so today we're going to talk about um, the partnership that God has invited us into with Christ Jesus. Um, We're also going through these same things that are kind of running parallel in our small group Bible study. If you don't have one, this would be a great week to to find one and to start one. And they're going to be focusing more about the, um, the relationship that we begin with Jesus but I want to talk about the part that, that kind of happens as a result of that, and that's a partnership that we have with Jesus from that day forward, from the day that we come to know him as our Savior and Lord. And so we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, and we're going to read verses 7 through 9, and I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles there. Uh, we'll have the words up on the screen in just a moment. And this passage talks about that. This is Paul talking to the church and about what's coming, about the good things that are coming to the church that they're going to be involved in. And so 1 Corinthians 1, if you'd please stand and honor the reading of God's Word. Now, you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. 
God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, so many times when we think about <clears throat> life and when we talk about a relationship with Jesus, we think about being saved, being saved from our sins, and that's a huge part of it. And then we think about, you know, what's going to happen in the after, after this world is over, you know, when we spend eternity in heaven. And the truth is that the time we spend here is going to be, it's just a breath, it's just a moment when you look at it in the light of eternity. But the, the cool thing is that in this time where we're here, that God has invited us into partnership with Christ. The Bible even says that he has created good works beforehand for us so that we might walk in them. In other words, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so what I want to see today is, I want to see how, you know, what, how did that work out in Jesus' life? That plan, when did he know how did that work for him? And I want us to see how a lot of those things can really uh, apply to us. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of big gaps. The first one is, you know, we know where Jesus was born. We know when he was born. Um, we know um, who came to see him. We know who came and brought him gifts. We know they had to flee. They spent some time in Egypt. And then after that, we don't know anything for 12 years. We have no clue. So what, what happened during those days? You know, there's no... Home videos, there's no stories about Jesus as a boy. But when he's 12 years old, the family, as families would do on occasion, they would go to Jerusalem for a festival or something else. And so Jesus and his family went to the temple at Jerusalem. And it was a, you know, a day or a day or more's hike for a family to go. And the way they would go is a bunch of people would go, family, um, friends, neighbors, and they would all get together. And they would all walk there together. And so all the kids would go off. And you might not see your kid for a day or two, but he's, you knew he was getting fed somewhere. You knew he was sleeping, whatever. And so after they go there and they come back, <clears throat> they don't realize till they're almost home that Jesus isn't with them. Now, I want you to just, you know, as a parent, that's a moment of panic. Every parent has been, you know, if you've got kids that are walking age a little more, you've had a moment where you turn around, you didn't know where they were, and boom, you know, your heart starts beating, you maybe you're in Walmart or somewhere else, and, and you don't know where they're at for a moment, and it starts a moment of panic. Now, imagine you can't find them for days. Well, they can't find Jesus for three days. They, they went all the way back. They looked through, you know, went to all their family, all the friends, started walking back through the, the trails of people that were coming home. No Jesus, nowhere. <clears throat> you know, you got to remember that he also had a lot of brothers and sisters that were younger, and so they're, they're keeping track of, track of them. I mean, Jesus is older whatever, he'll take care of himself. It took three days for them to find it. And so we're going to pick that up in Luke chapter 2, verses 46 through 52. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and answering, asking questions. Now, I don't know if, you, if I, as a parent, that probably was not on my radar of where I might find my 12-year-old son. Anybody else? I mean, I'm thinking in the ditch running around playing, oh man, I'm going to yank him up by that ear, come on. I mean, can you imagine all the things would be going through your mind, and yet there he is in the temple, sitting amongst the religious teachers of the day, and everybody knew who these guys were. It, it was a small community, and that were, they were some of the most important people in the community were the religious teachers. And he's asking them questions. And not only that, they come in and they see him there, 
And you know, and they resisted the temptation of, Jesus, come here, right now. They didn't say a word. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And you know what? In that one sentence, it answers a lot of things for us about Jesus. <clears throat> well, did Jesus know he was going to be the Messiah? Yep. Did he know he was God in the flesh? Yep. He knew stuff. He's answering their questions. He's teaching. He's 12 years old, teaching the teachers who teach all of Jerusalem. Like this would be, when they would have a teaching, it would like go through the whole land. Well, you know, Gamaliel said this, and they would, they would repeat what he had said. It was that important. And he's teaching them. His parents didn't know what to think. That's kind of an understatement, I would imagine. So his mom comes up to him, and, and I'm, I'm guessing she had been rehearsing these words for a little while. I mean, you know what I'm saying? When you're out there and you're looking for him, you're thinking, after you're thinking where, what could be happening to him, the second thing you're thinking is, mm, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have, uh, there's going to be a talk. And it's going through your mind what you're going to say. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? See, when you read it, it just sounds like, son, why have you done this? To but you know there was something. There was mama's voice behind that. You know what I'm saying? Son, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Well, why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be my father's house? So he knew who his father was. He knew what he was there for. But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them, was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. You know, there's a couple of things that really strike me about this, and that's for each of us. You know, Jesus is 12 years old. And not everybody knows what God's purpose or God's plan for him is at 12 years old. But the moment that you come to faith in Jesus, you can know something for certain. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And here's the thing. You may not know what it is right now. Some of you know what your purpose is. Some of you are seeking for it. Some of you haven't even really thought about it. Some of you are in the middle of it or you're in the part way through or whatever. But God has a purpose for you. All in means that you trust from the moment you know Jesus that God has a plan for you. And you also have to know in that, and this is consistent throughout Scripture, all in is knowing there's a plan and in knowing there's a plan that there will be waiting. There will be waiting. You know, when God told Abraham he was going to have a son, he was 80 years old. Guess what? He didn't have him until he was almost 100. That's a lot of waiting. And you know what? It's one thing to get that, to be told that when you're 10 years old. <laughs> and maybe you have a kid at 30. It's a whole other deal to be told that when you're 80. Because you're thinking, man, that, that, okay, if that's going to happen, that needs to happen now. And for it still not to happen for another 20 years of, of time. Moses knew that he had been saved for a reason. His Jewish mother told him. I bet the Egyptian mom that adopted him knew. 
he stayed in Pharaoh's house for 40 years being educated, learning, being part of Pharaoh's household. And then when he intervened on behalf of his people, there's another 40 years out in the wilderness with family. Moses was 80 years old before God came to him and said, okay, here's what you're here for. Here's what you're here for. Abraham was 80 when God says, here's what you're here for. I want you to think about that for just a minute. Man, I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I know, this is when I, I want to go do it right then. Well, let's make this happen. Let's get after it. Let's do something. You know, there was a phrase I used to hear all the time, let's do something even if it's wrong. Any y'all ever hear that one? People get tired of waiting. Let's do something even if it's wrong. That's not a real good philosophy of life, I'm just telling you. But that we have that in us. We want to get started. We want to get going. But there's going to be waiting. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. From the time even in the temple where he's telling his parents, I I'm about my father's business. Until he actually did the first thing. He waited 18 years. And you know what? He was known. People knew who he was. You know what he was known as? Jesus was known as the son of Joseph. He wasn't known as Jesus the Messiah and waiting. He wasn't known as Jesus the incredible Bible teacher. He wasn't known as Jesus that could do all these amazing miracles and things like that. None of that. There's Jesus. That's Joseph's son. And he was a carpenter. That's what he was known for. There were no signs between 12 and 18, excuse me, 12 and 30, during those 18 years, that Jesus was going to be the Messiah. There was nothing. Now, one of the things I want you to know and understand, and it was true in the life of Jesus, you would think, you know, if I was, it amazes me how God did everything the exact opposite of the way that I'd have done it if I was planning. You know, I, I wouldn't have had him being born out in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a, it, it wasn't even a one stoplight town. You understand what I'm saying? It's one, you didn't even have a lower speed limit. If you're, if you're rolling through there on your donkey doing 50 or whatever, you didn't even have to slow down going through Bethlehem. You just rolled on through it. There wasn't nothing there. And then he ends up moving to Nazareth. Nazareth has less respect in the country and Galilee than Bethlehem did. Nobody said anything, oh man, that's, that's awesome, you're from that. That was, that was like, now I want you to know I'm one of you people. But that's like Dallas people would look at people from Parker County. That's, they'd look at us, a bunch of redneck hicks. They don't know how good it is over here. That's good. Let's keep it that way. We're good. But that's what they would think. And so... We get caught up sometimes in, in where we're from. And if it was me, I'd have said, man, I want him born like, I want him born in Jerusalem. That's the hub. That's the city. That's where great teachers are made. That's where leaders come from. As a matter of fact, Nicodemus, after he met with Jesus that night, and Jesus talked to him about being born again, the, the leaders later on in Jesus' ministry were <coughs> trying to find a way to stop Jesus. And it says in John 7, 50, then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up 
Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He asked. They replied, are you from Galilee too? That was not a, that was not a compliment. Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Ain't nothing coming out of Parker County. See, it's not where you're from. And not only that, some of us, hey, you can look back, and I talked to you about it the week before Christmas about how the birth of Jesus was a scandal. An unwed teenager became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. But people back then knew how things worked, and they could count months too. And so the very birth of Jesus was a scandal. You know, his own, neither one of their families is listed in there anywhere as having been anywhere around being supportive or anything after that moment. And you know what? You might come from, you know, man, I, my family, they weren't believers. Maybe they were believers. or Maybe you come from a difficult background. Guess what? So did Jesus. Jesus wasn't born to a, into a wealthy family or a highly respected family. It was just a good working family. And so it's not where you're from. And even in that, you know what, there may be things in your, in your family history and things in your life, you're like, man, I wish I hadn't done that, but God can still use you. Because God doesn't just pick people that have perfect histories, not that there are any. But he's not sitting around looking, well, I want to make sure they're from the right family and from the right place and have the right education and can do this and can do that. That's not what God's looking for. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I can't do these things because I don't have this or I don't have that or I haven't done that or I'm not from here, hey, you're not seeing the story of Jesus. That's not how God's worked. His plan is not about where you're from. In John 7, 25, it says some of the people who lived in Jerusalem started to ask each other, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Talking about Jesus. But here he is speaking in public, and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly believe that he is the Messiah? But how could he be? For we know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. You know, part of the reason for that is that people in that day and age realized that the Messiah was supernatural and otherworldly in certain ways. You see, Jesus was God who took on flesh. But he was still God. That's how he knew what he knew when he was 12. That's how he, when one of the disciples came to him, said, I saw you sitting under a tree. And the guy said, knew in that moment there was something significant. Maybe he was saying something to God that only God could know. And he said, well, you must be the son of God. He was still God even when he was in the flesh. But here's the thing. <clears throat> People could not grasp that someone could grow up and that they could be familiar with them and that they could know them and that God could do these things with them. You know, in that day and age, it was because it was a small world. I mean, you knew everybody in every town. And you might even know about this guy over here, whatever. Now... You're thinking, well, 
you know, everybody's going to know where I'm from. Well, yeah. Because you've been putting everything about you've thought in your head on your social media for the last 15 years. Everybody's going to know. And I'm, I'm going to tell y'all something. I'm going to see how many of y'all know this. Y'all know that when you put that on there, you could go today, this afternoon, and erase all your social media, and it's already recorded. Y'all know that. They have computers that, are, that take snapshots at certain intervals of the interview, uh, inter, interwebs. And they'll be able to look up and see what you posted last week, even though you deleted it. How many of y'all knew that? Some of y'all are like, what? True story. Look it up. Just type in Wayback Machine in your Google later on and see what you get. It's a real thing. I know y'all are. It's not that preacher. He don't know anything. He don't know nothing about no social media. All right. Test me out. It's hard. Because the more you're familiar with someone, the harder it is to think about what God might do through them. And so they thought, man, gee, he's just going to show up. Ain't nobody going to know who he is. And guess what? If I was God, I, I may have been the way I'd have done it. Why have Jesus lived for anonymity for decades? In some little town, in some little family. Just becoming a carpenter, what's the point of that? Well, while Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out, yes, you know me and you know where I come from. But I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, and you don't know him. But I know him because I come from him, and he sent me to you. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Now, I'm going to tell you why I think that, that time frame of Jesus having all those years just living in this town, working every day, being a laborer, dealing with people all the time. I think that is one of the most potent proofs that Jesus was the Son of God. And I'll tell you why. Because later on, even though these people are like, well, we know him. We can't, we can't see him as the Messiah. Not one person came up and said, hey, he can't be the guy. Because I, he cheated me. I asked him to do a job for me, and he cheated me. He didn't do it. took my money. Nobody came up and said, hey, I, I know Jesus sinned. And not only that, here's the other part. <clears throat> He's God in the flesh, and he ain't used that for 18 years. I, I mean, when you're in a group of people, let's say in your, <clears throat> you know, you've found the wonder thing that you can, you know, the vi di vitamin diet thing or whatever that, really did something for you, and the people are sitting around talking, I just don't know how to, you can't sit there and not tell them, can you? If I'm, in a, if I'm somewhere and people are sitting down having a discussion about the greatest donuts in the world, I'm going to interject my opinion. It's Krispy Kreme, hot ones. There is no debate, that is truth. Just saying. I ain't going to be able to sit there and just listen to y'all talk about something when I know it ain't true. Am I right? There was nobody that said, well, that Jesus, he's always telling people about God he just thinks he's God's gift. Think about that one for a minute. I, I thought that was... Anyway. <laughs> Nobody. I mean, if you got all that, you know that. You're God. How could you for 18 years, not one time? Oh, is that what you think? Well, let me tell you. He had no pride. 
To me, one of the most amazing things is that God could be in the flesh and no one would know it was God. Because I'm just telling you right now, I, got, I, I guarantee you I got enough pride that at some point I'd have popped off about something. And I'm betting that y'all would have too. You hear somebody tell a lie, you know they're telling a lie. Boom. I saw you. Because I'm God. I wouldn't have been able to stop it. You wouldn't either. But there's all these people that knew him all this time, and they had no idea he was God in the flesh. It's one of the greatest proofs that he really is who he says he is. And that nobody came to accuse him. You see, that's part of the deal about the waiting that comes. I want you to think about this for just a moment. There were 30 years before Jesus started. But that was 30 years of getting up every day and being tempted by sin, just as we are. That's what the Scripture says. Tempted in every way. You see, we don't, you know, you think about, well, yeah, Jesus got tempted. For 30 years, every single day, Jesus faced the exact same temptations we do. He knows how it can just keep coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. He knows how difficult situations can be, people can be, life can be. And so when we come before him in heaven, we're going before a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses because he knows because he spent decades just living like we live, and yet without sin. And see, here's the thing about that time of waiting. None of us are called to save the world. None of us are perfect, even from the beginning. We never were. Just like David said, in sin, my mother conceived me. We were born with a sin nature. It was ours from the beginning. But here's the thing. What we do while we're waiting still matters. It still matters. One of the most important things about being ready in that moment when it's time and God wants to do something in and through us is to be faithful every day in the little things that we come across in life. You know, we don't know of any, we know about the temptation when he went to the wilderness after being, after fasting for 40 days when he began. We don't know about all the temptations that came before that, but there were thousands of them. And he met every challenge every day. And you know what? Here's the important part for us. Is if, what, if, what if God came down to you and said, you know what? I'm going to use you for something. It's going to take place over just a year or two, and it's going to change your family and everybody around you. Or maybe it's going to change your family, and, and dozens of families around you. Or maybe, you know what, you're going to be a part of, of seeing thousands of people change. Or maybe hundreds of thousands of people change. But it's not going to happen for like 30 years. And all you got to do between now and then is just be faithful every day. So when the time comes, you're ready. I don't know about you, I'd have, that'd be hard, wouldn't it? Man, that sounds exciting. Can't we get to it? What can I do now? Nothing. Just be faithful every day. You see, we spend, sometimes we spend too many time, too much time trying to break a door down instead of waiting for God to open it when he's ready. And we get impatient. You want to know? You know what I tell people? How, how can I find the right girl to marry? Quit trying. 
be the right, be the kind of person that the girl you want to marry wants to marry. And let God bring her to you. Or let her take you to, to her. How am I going to find the right husband? Hey, know what your standards are. Don't compromise. But be the right person. You know, some, there's too many people that want they want to marry somebody while they're living a life that the person they want to marry wouldn't want to be involved in. So here's the key thing. It's really simple. Be faithful to God. Get up every day seeking to please Him, not please some other person. And when the time's right, you'll be in the right place. I can tell you that from experience. And there's others in here that can too. You want to be used of God? Be faithful where you're at. Be faithful in what you're doing. And wait for God to open the doors. You know, in every single instance over Scripture where God did something amazing and God did something major, there was a period of waiting. And sometimes that waiting's tough. God used Joseph to save his people. He saved them all. But it was after being beaten by his own brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, put into prison. It happened after all those things. You know what Joseph did during each one of those stages? He was faithful to God. He was faithful. And God used him to do something that we still talk about today. So that there, there can be time. The other thing, and there's two parts to this, so I want you to make sure you clearly hear both parts. But God's plan is not dependent on others believing in you. It's not. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. Now, they knew the Jewish leaders were plotting to kill him too. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Even his brothers didn't believe. See, you know what they tempted him with? If you want to be famous, hey, if you're in it for your glory, you're never going to be used by God for that great purpose in life. You know what I heard a long time ago, and it's something that I aspire to live up to. I'm not saying I'm perfect. But the goal of every preacher should be to preach the gospel faithfully, die, and then be forgotten. And I'm not saying that to be harsh or self. That's what I really believe. I don't want no building named after me. I don't want any, I don't want my name anywhere after I'm gone. I don't even want it on a storage shack out in the back. Pastor Brian's storage shack. I don't want no storage shack. As a matter of fact, my goal is this, is to be faithful until God's done with me and then to hand it off to what, you know, I believe God's going to raise somebody out of this church to, be, to take my place. Now, not tomorrow, but down the road. And I'm going to hand it off to them, and they're going to do greater things than I ever did to the point where I won't come back here someday and people are going to be, yeah, I remember that big, really good-looking guy who's preacher. I don't remember what his name was. He, Whoa, hold on here. There ain't no need to laugh at that. I'm just kidding. I don't, I honestly, if it's about somebody remembering my name, 
I'm going to waste my whole life. I'm not wasting my life so somebody can remember my name. I want to give my life so people can know the name of Jesus and know him. And you have to have that as your, as your heart. Or you wouldn't be willing to do some of these things. They didn't get it. They thought he was wanting to be famous, that he was seeking attention, but he wasn't. In Mark 6, 1 through 6, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter. Son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Why do you think they were offended by that? Because in their mind, Jesus wasn't something special. And they were, here's the deal. It had to have been in their mind, why wouldn't God use me for something like that? I've done more than Jesus has. He's just a carpenter. There'll be people around you that, that won't see it. Because they're going to look at you instead of looking at what God's doing. You see, if they'd have looked and seen, hey, there are actual miracles that are happening. That's what you want to, that's what you're seeking. It's not that people would believe in you, but that they would see and be able to recognize that God is doing something in and through you. So there's two parts to that. You don't need people to believe you, but at some point, God will show. He'll show them. And some of the people that love you know you the most won't ever get it, but other people will. And so you don't need people to believe in you. God will show who's real. And Jesus proved it. Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place the hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. You know what else he didn't do? He didn't argue with them. He didn't try to convince them. He just moved on. And sometimes there's times you got to do that. You got to say, hey, I love you. You're my family, but this is what God's called me to do, and I'm going to do it. And they may not always get it. But when you know that God's calling you to it, do not choose your family over God's call. Do not. I mean, I'm not telling you you got to say, well, I'm done with y'all, cut ties. I I'm just saying, don't change what you're doing, what God has called you to do to please people. Choose to follow God's plan. Now, that had to have been a tough moment. When you realize the people in your own hometown, your own family aren't getting it, don't see it, don't want to see it. But it didn't stop him, and it didn't deter him. Now, one of the last things I want to talk about, and this is one of the important parts, the most in a lot of ways, is, 
it's hard to, to take on the idea of, man, this is a, this could be a five-year, 10-year, 20, 30, 40. This might be a, this is a lifetime journey. It is a lifetime call. And you know what? One of the first things that all of us have when we're trying to seek God's purpose is this, this idea, man, I, hey, I appreciate it, Pastor, but you don't understand, I'm, a, I, I'm messed up. I have blown it. I've proven that I can't be trusted to keep going all the time. I, I mess up. Guess what? God already knows that. And one of the most awesome things about the God we serve, <laughs> and it's some, <laughs> when you look and think about what Jesus went through, the beatings, the whipping, the crucifixion, if I'd had a chance, hey, there's, I wish that I could say, man, I'd have gone through all that and done it too. But there's a big part of me that knows I'd have cried, hey, I'd have tapped out. But we serve a God that never taps out. He's a finisher. And because he's a finisher, you can finish what you think you can't. Because it's his power that takes us through. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eye, or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world Things counted as nothing at all and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. If you fit in that group, man, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm nothing special. I'm not particularly wise. I'm not wealthy. I don't have those things. You are exactly who God's looking for. But I can't do this. I can't. Uh-uh. You're exactly who God's looking for. He chose you live his purpose. Philippians 1.6, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You know, the first, strong, first verses that I read, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this. For he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, when you look at the path ahead and think, man, that's too much, I don't think I can do that. You're looking at the wrong, in the wrong place. You're looking at the wrong person. That's what Jesus tried to tell him. Well, we know you, Jesus. We knew you were growing up. We know who you, where, where your family is. He's saying, you're looking at the wrong person. You need to be looking at the one who sent me, not at me. And if you're looking at yourself thinking, I don't think I can do that, quit looking at yourself and look at the one who's called you. Look at the one who sent you. Look at the one who's called you into partnership with his son. That's where to look to see if you got what it takes to finish. He will finish it. He will finish it because he's a finisher, and he doesn't quit. 
You know, Jesus, one of the most amazing things that he did was on the, the night before of his arrest, he brought all the disciples in, and he was God, he knew. He knew what Judas had already planned. Where'd that go? I don't need that, it's all right. It's just a phone, you can get other phones. He brought all the disciples in there, and he knew there was one of them that had already made a deal to, to betray him. Let me tell you what I'd done. I said, hey, Jesus, go ahead and go. But he didn't do that. You know what he did? He washed his feet first. He washed his feet first. He'd already told him he knew some one of them was going to betray him. And then he served him. And then he loved him. And then he demonstrated that was one of the most selfless acts of service ever recorded in history. Was sitting down and washing the feet in love the man who was about to turn him over to be arrested and crucified. That's the kind of love Jesus has. If he loved Judas that much, how much did he love you? He ain't going to quit you. Because that's not what he does. Now, we all have to decide, am I going to be part of God's plan? And you know what? The only day, the most important day in your spiritual life is today. That's always going to be true. The next most important day will be the day you wake up to tomorrow. But the most important day in your spiritual walk is today. And what you choose to do, are you going to be all in? Are you going to be all in? Are you going to do the well? You know what? Why don't you tell me what you want me to do, God, and then I'll decide what I'm willing to do and how faithful I'm willing to be and whether or not I'm going to, you know, do the everyday stuff. Why don't you give me some advance notice? And I'll start getting ready a little bit before, but I don't want to do it open-ended. That's not all in. You know what God's looking for more than anything else? People that are all in. So you got to choose on that one. Now, the second part, for those of us who don't have a relationship with Jesus, it starts there. And this is how it happens. Is number one, you've got to admit that you're a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not asking you how much you know about Jesus. I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. I don't care. I'm asking you, do you have a relationship with Christ? Because in the end, that's what's going to matter. Jesus came up and said, I never knew you. He's talking about relationships. It begins by admitting we're sinners and asking forgiveness of our sins. The second thing is you've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son. That He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And that He rose on the third day according to Scripture. <clears throat> you see, Jesus proved for 30 years that He was the Messiah. He proved for three years that He was the Son of God. And He proved it beyond, a, beyond any doubt when he rose from the grave. Nobody else been able to do that. Nobody else been able to beat death but Jesus. He proved it. So you got to believe that he's God's son, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose on the third day according to Scripture. And then the last thing, this part of that all-in thing, is you got to confess Jesus as Lord. It's not enough to say, hey, I want to be saved from my sins. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved.
Are you willing to do that? If you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, that you're in right relationship with God, and that you belong to Him, and you're all in, I want to ask everybody in here to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want to lead anybody that needs to know that, that wants to have a relationship with Jesus, wants to be forgiven, and wants to know they're going to be with God for eternity. I want to lead you in this brief prayer of salvation. You can repeat it after me, or you can pray it in your own words. Just pray in your heart. God will hear you. Pray with me right now. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day, according to Scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior, and I confess Him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, here's all I'm going to ask you to do. You don't have to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything in front of anybody. But without anybody else looking around, if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to look up at me and keep looking until I see you so that I can pray for you in just a moment. Okay? All right? Okay, see you. All right. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. It's important that you tell someone. We'd love for you to tell us, and we would love to take some time and answer any questions you might have and talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. There's a number on the screen, a QR code. Um, You can use either one of those. Just text SAVE to that number. Use the QR code, and we will get in touch with you by text and set up a time. We'd love to meet with you in person, but if the phone works better, we'll do that too. And we're not going to ask anything from you. We just want to help you in those next steps. Or as soon as the service is over, John will be down here at the front. You can come down, and we'll, we'll have some people here that would talk to you today. Or we could set up a time today to meet with you later. So however works best for you, we'd love to hear from you. So right now, I want to pray for you and pray for each of us. For those that made a decision to trust Christ and for the rest of us that God would help us to trust and to be all in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your love, for your mercy. Father, thank you most of all for Jesus. Thank you for those that have come to a a knowledge of your son Christ today, and I pray that they would find the right church, or to help them grow, whether that's here or somewhere else. Father, thank you for allowing us to be a part of their journey. Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.